what a freedom comes with that truth right there of understanding that I am a messed up person. I'm I'm a I'm a dichotomy of Jekyll and Hyde. And if it depends on me, I cannot make it. But Paul, the apostle, we've been quoting him from Romans, Corinthians, now Galatians. He's saying to us, guys, girls, it's Jesus in you. It's his life. You received him by faith. He is living this in you. He is transforming you. Welcome to this week's edition of the Way of Holiness podcast, and this is Mike Barnett along with Corey Cantrell, and back in the studio with us today is none other than Dean Carmichael. Welcome back, Dr. Dean. Hello. Thank you for having me back. It is good to have you back, and it's an exciting week. Yes, it is. We were talking about this uh, earlier, and we were celebrating this week of, I guess it'll be the week we'll be rolling into. We are heading into a very exciting week. That's what I'm trying to get to, which is the week of Lent beginning. So before we dive into today's topic, I have to ask, and it actually might be very fitting to what we're going to discuss. Mm. We're going to be talking about training in the way of holiness, overcoming that weak side of our human nature. But next week on Tuesday is Fat Tuesday. Are you prepared, Dean? So Fat Tuesday is exactly what? Also known as Mardi Gras. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm prepared. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the day before uh, the Ash Wednesday. So long story short, we're going to party like it's 1610. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so Fat Tuesday, also known as Mardi Gras, which Mardi Gras, we were talking earlier, is French for Fat oui. Tuesday. We. Oui. Yeah, and uh, it's also Pancake Day. Oh, I love pancakes. So, so inquiring minds want to know. Sorry, I literally just had an epiphany sitting Uh-oh. right here. Oh, He's been having geez. a lot of those lately. This was it's a the goal of this podcast. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> this was <laughs> this was a tradition that I learned about in my UPS days because we delivered all of these king cakes, and I had no idea what a king cake was, and it was tied to the Mardi Gras festival. It, it they said it was basically like a big cake. You cut into it. Whoever had the little baby Jesus in their piece of cake was going to be blessed with good fortune. Is that why it's Pancake Tuesday? Huh. I thought it was Taco Tuesday. Does it have to do with the king cake? I don't think you had an epiphany. I think what you had was the hope of an epiphany. No, no, no. no. Two different things. Boy, he got really excited. I just just drew those connections. Because I was sitting here thinking, (laughs) what on earth does Fat Tuesday... Rolling into Lent had to do with pancakes, but if it's about the king cake, that makes more sense. Well, anyway, I, I didn't mean to just dismiss no that. Problem. I just figured everybody knew the answer to your question. No. <laughs> pancakes are not the same thing. No. <laughs> Worst epiphany ever. I'll zip it. But uh, anyway, well, you were going to so ask me something pancakes. important. What, what kind of pancakes are you going to have next Tuesday for Pancake Day? Well, pancake Day. Well, I, I don't know yet. I mean, are we going to do something special? Are we going to Are we going to meet that morning and have pancakes together? I don't know why we couldn't. Or you call them flapjacks, don't you? Oh yeah, I I prefer the flapjacks. Um, blueberry flapjacks, blueberry pancakes. I don't I don't care. I'm, so you like the blueberry? 
as we were discussing that that Tuesday, Fat Tuesday, is all about partaking in all those things that you want to enjoy because yes. the next 40 days of Lent, you're going to step away from them. Mm. And uh, so I, I don't know. That, that's an exercise. It, that could be a way of training to godliness if it's done with the right spirit and the right way. Proper perspective on things. I want to ask off for work that day. <laughs> Play video games and eat pancakes with whipped cream. Yeah, all day long. All day long. So we're talking about training in the way of holiness today. I think this is so important. I know you guys, I know the answer, right, because we talk about this all the time, but how many of our listeners are just going to join in on saying, man, it's hard mm-hmm. to live a holy life. I wish we could say it wasn't. I wish we could say that it's easy. I think it's you could make an argument that it gets easier in ways as we go along, but I think I found that where there are ways in which it gets easier the further I go, there are equally ways it gets more difficult mm-hmm. the further I go. And that has been a lot of what I've been thinking about over the past week as I was away. I just came back from what should have been, what was intended to be my annual sabbatical week, as I have come to call it. And over the last few years, my wife and I will go away for a week, usually in February. Went away a little early this time. Maybe that's where it went wrong. We tried to get a jump on things. But over the last few years, we have, I would say, progressively um, improved and enhanced and benefited from this week of just really getting away from everything and truly making it a time for Sabbath rest and immersion into solitude and recreation where we get a chance to just kind of get renewed in a lot of ways. It's very quiet, a lot of reading, a lot of personal time and together time, but not a lot of other people time. Well, this was not that week. Just to put it in a nutshell, uh, we arrived an hour an hour after arriving on Sunday night. We got a phone call about some uh, some really bad news concerning my wife's family that we had to respond to. And so the next day we were on the road again. And just to make a long story short, the whole week got disrupted. And then by the end of the week, we got to spend the last two full days together there. But it was all discombobulated. And anyway, there were things that I I, I began working on in my morning study time. You know, I found myself, and probably as much for any other reason because I was alone, I, I got off track. I didn't stay to the sabbatical idea and I was up late watching, you know, a movie that I didn't even care about and had no redeeming value when it was all said and done, which, you know, I told my wife, hey, I'm going to watch this. And then, long story short on that, wasting time, mm-hmm. not really benefiting my soul like I intended to, eating too late, all that stuff that just kind of, I think it falls under the category of fleshly lust, which war against the soul uh, that Peter talks about. I mean, and all that experience... In the morning time, I think uh, maybe the second morning or whatever it was, I I got up and I wrote this question down in my journal. How can a truly born-again person commit or practice the habit of sin? Okay, so just apply that to wherever it might apply in your life, right? Whatever your struggle may be. But we tend to think that, and even using some scriptural basis that, Christians won't have a habit of sin in their life or won't live in a habit of mm-hmm. sinfulness. True or false? Is that thinking true or false? That thinking is false. The reality of it is definitely true, though. And, I mean, I know I've heard it preached and taught. I mean, man, open confession. 
I've preached and taught it myself. Yeah, so way. we so we're all in agreement that can, that's not true. Can you can you rephrase the question? I just want to make sure I'm I'm hearing it correctly. It, let me yeah, let me rephrase it. Yeah. Is it possible for a truly born again follower of Jesus to live with a habit of sin in their life? Is it possible? Yes. Let me press further. Is it pretty likely that most of us have that experience? Yes. Okay. Yes. But I think for clarifying, maybe from where some of our hesitations were, is it possible for a Christian to live in that habit and not be bothered about his habit? Yeah, well, I think we would all agree no to that. Okay. And that's a great difference between, you know, it's one of the great differences and an encouraging difference from your life before Christ, your life after Christ. And while some of your habits and the sinful things might be different, yeah. There is certainly no rest in your soul over the sin that you find in your life. Yes. Yeah. I think it depends, too, how mature the believer is, or depending on what the sin is, right? Yeah. Because there are some things that is not really brought to light till later. It may not be as obvious as, as other things. Well, and I think that is, again, something I was alluding to earlier when I said that the further we go— it does get easier in some ways to live a holy life, but it also equally gets tougher in some ways because mm-hmm. the closer we get to God and the deeper we get in our walk with Christ, the more he is surfacing the issues inside of us. Let's use cussing, right? Yeah. I guess. Uh, I mean, some some people don't agree. Well, okay. How about um, like a perverse tongue? Okay. Froward lips. Froward lips, perverse tongue, just... Saying something that isn't godly, saying something that a Christian shouldn't say, but using like a substitute word. It means the same thing, Uh but instead of cussing, they just say another word. But they're essentially saying the same thing and speaking in an unholy way, but they're using, they're just going through the motions. Well, and then there's the next level. So let's develop the level there. A brand new Christian. Because we've heard many people talk about this. I would say it of my own life. You know, when I surrendered to the Lord, you know, in my teenage years, I picked up all the vernacular of the worldly teenage language, you know. and uh, You came up through the 80s and the early 90s, so that was quite some vernacular. Yeah. And so when I, when I surrendered my life to Christ and he became Lord of my life, that was gone. And it's been gone ever since. I don't, I don't cuss. I don't use profanity. As a Keep general it. rule, I, I don't do that, right? <laughs> but using the, the scriptures you're referencing, the froward tongue and all that, yeah. well, there's this whole deeper level now where you can talk about saying something that's not a lie but still has deception to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which might not even make sense to a young Christian, but you get to understand, like, oh, what I just said wasn't exactly a lie, but I just deceived that person intentionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's a whole new level of Christ working on us, the Holy Spirit working on us to change us. Right. That's a that's a deeper level of holiness, but it's revealing something deeper in us that Christ wants to remove. And and I, you know, we could spiritualize this a lot, but there's probably a lot of other things. Let's think about all the addictions that we have, whether it is thing and largely it comes in the area of consuming, right? Whether it's food or television or movies or whatever it is that we overconsume and we ingest the wrong things into our life and acknowledging this that there is a part of you and a part of me that wants the wrong thing 
So let me give you a gut check illustration. So my wife and I watched a movie after we totally obliterated the sabbatical of the week. We decided to watch a movie that we have had this movie in our possession a long time, but I'd never seen it. She wasn't sure about it. So we decided, well, we'll watch this movie while we're away. And I won't mention the movie. I won't do the name of it. There's probably a gazillion people out there that love the movie. But there was a scene in the movie where the lead female character undresses, and it was the typical nothing is shown, right? The shot was from the back. But as we, when, when we had finished that movie and we were actually driving home and somehow or another this all came up in conversation because we had already decided, okay, that movie, we're done with that movie. I mean, it had a great story, but it has stuff in it that's not good for our soul. And I just confessed to my wife. I said, you know, what I hate about me is that there's a side of me that when that scene came up, I wanted the camera to pan around. Yeah. And I said, I hate that about me. That It's not who I really in my deep heart want to be, mm-hmm. but there is a part of me that still wants that, and that drives me crazy. So back to what I wrote in my journal. How can this be true of a born-again Christian? How can we have that in us, which is so unchristlike? And that really has been the stimulus to... Well, but I guess it fits into the whole stimulus of dealing with this thing of I need to train myself to godliness. Now, I was thinking about all this, and in praying um, over this, I came to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and Paul really deals with this in a way that I think is worth bringing up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body. I think that's an important statement. I do not think that he's just being allegorical or analogous, he is saying, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And I believe Paul is showing us something very important there, and that is the appetites of our flesh. I think it's important to deal with not just... I think he's being very literal here. I have to keep my body... Under, I have to discipline my physical self because my appetites, the appetites of my flesh, will will mess me up. So there's a there's a whole myriad of ways that that could be true, right? Mm-hmm. But, but what are you thinking as you hear that? Does that make sense? Is it resonating? Well, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense, but it also reveals just the difficulty of it because we do not like to deny ourselves anything, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so I think part of the good intention is we swing too far the other direction, where we just we just cut down every desire, every impulse, anything that generates from the inside of you, you need to understand it's bad. And so in an effort to mortify the flesh, we've actually killed the spirit. Or we just say, nah, nah, I... It's all, it's all good, and it's fine, and I've got liberty, and it's harmless, and it's in, innocent, and we justify it. It is so hard to find that balance in the middle of 
crucifying the fallen nature that does need to be mortified and also allowing the good part of me to flourish and thrive and to build because it is really easy to take the extreme approach on either side of that pendulum. That movie, that is a perfect example of how all it takes is just something to introduce. I don't know if you call that a beachhead or what, but just how it would introduce something because now your brain is going down all these crazy paths. And it's like, man, I could have avoided that altogether, you know, versus being able to stay stay on the path that I want to be on. It's the gateway type thing. There you go. That's what that's I was what, looking for. Thank that's you. What yes. makes it, that's what makes it difficult because I think the the obvious black and white sins, which is the, the stuff that's so easy for us to identify, like not a man listening is going to try to condone going and having an extramarital affair and like literally getting into bed with another woman. Everybody is going to say, well, yeah, that's wicked and wrong. You can't justify that. What is difficult is identifying, okay, what are the gateways that provide occasion for your flesh to intensify that desire for that outcome? You know that that's wrong, but there is still that urge to that wrong. Well, what does that do? That's the war, but if we can close these gateways early on and we identify, okay, there's a draw to that. So now I need a backwards plan. I need to see where do I need to set up these barriers? Where do I need to set up these defenses to keep me from going down that path? And that takes some trial, some error, some practice, some confession, some help, all of these other things, and (laughs) there's the struggle of it all. All of which come into things that become can become addictions. Yes. Habits that become addictions. Paul says i got to keep my body under. He says in another place, chapter 6 and perhaps in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, where he talks about all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Everything doesn't profit me. And I am not going to let anything have control over me. And I'm wondering, so number one, let's just go ahead and say, and maybe we can talk about this as we go, willpower is not enough. Yes. Willpower is not enough. Now, we hear a lot about the willpower, but it's not enough. But I also want to say, talking about things that we've all preached, taught, said before, I know I always like to say that the battle is in the mind, but I think I've often said the battle starts in the mind. But I think it might be safer to say that the battle is in the mind, but I think it may start a lot of times in the body. Hmm. Biblically sound principle? As far as it's starting in the body... You mean like the like the physical urges? The like there is there is literally a a physical mechanism that is drawing me to whatever. The it use is. of the five senses. See, we've already kind of basically said without saying, but it's not that the body is bad. It's not that the flesh is bad. Mm-hmm. We in our normal way of thinking, we hear the flesh and we think bad things. The flesh is not always bad. The flesh has its place. The body has its place, but the body and the flesh out of line, not under the control and lead of the Spirit, will always lead to bad things. James says in James chapter 1, when he's describing what it is to be tempted, right? He says that we're not to say that God tempts any of us, but he says every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, I know that can be something in the mind, too. There can be that draw of, for power, that draw for recognition or whatever. But even just thinking about a lot of these problems 
these battles start with something in us physically being, it's an appetite. Mm -hmm. There's an appetite for something. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The truth is it's never a single thing. It's never just affecting us in a single way. Right. I think, you know, you guys got the text that I was sending last week. Another big thing that I was thinking on, and they're not mutually exclusive of each other, but Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And I was thinking about that uh, driving on the trip the other day, and I thought, what are the ways that I actually love God with my heart, with my soul, with my mind, with my strength or my body? Right. And as I tried to think through all those things, all the ideas I would come to, I would realize they're all interconnected. You yeah. can't love God with your body without your heart and soul and mind being a part of it and so forth and so on. They're all interconnected. And I think in the same way when the temptation comes and the battle that must ensue okay, has to involve the whole person. Just yeah. like the tempter comes against the whole person, for us to fight and win, we have to fight with the whole person. And that might be a very important principle to bring out. Um, I, I was trying to think of the reasons, you know, back to that original question, and you know, how can this be true of us as Christians, as true lovers of God, followers of Jesus? How can we have these habits of sin in our life? And what gets us addicted or trapped into the patterns of sin? Okay, so right now, every one of us in this room, we don't have to confess it, but we can think of some kind of pattern or habit in our life we'd like to break out of, okay? But we find it difficult, Mm -hmm. okay? So I think one thing is the power of temptation itself and the rule of the tempter. There is a prevalence of temptation and the opportunity to indulge in our society today. And I think it's healthy and helpful to acknowledge that. It's literally very hard to live in this culture mm-hmm. and not be bombarded with all of this temptation, mm-hmm. right? Definitely. And I think we do ourselves a disjustice, not only to ourselves, but also to those that are looking up to us for counsel when we try to brush it off as, well, God, this is just how the world's always been, and other people have got it right, so we just need to, you know, do it. No, we need to acknowledge we live in a very dangerous world, and we live in a very, like, there is a, there is deliberate assault that has ratcheted up in intensity and in opportunity, and we need to take it very seriously or we're going to get taken out. And the lines are definitely being moved, you know, because the level of social acceptance changes all the time. Um, there are still things that, most people in our society would say that is unacceptable. Murder, mm-hmm. sure. you know, um, rape. But I, I maybe it's good I don't remember, but I, I saw the, this headline of a story pop up the other day, and it said something about monogamy. But the way it worded it, I thought, okay, I've got to read this one. And I don't, again, I don't remember how they worded it, but... I could tell that it was saying that there's a new view of monogamy that is becoming acceptable in society. And when I when I clicked on and read the article, this is basically what it was saying in a nutshell, that it is good to practice monogamy, though it's not for everybody, but monogamy is a wonderful thing, and you should be monogamous in your relationship. But 
if you reach a point where that relationship is no longer satisfying or not fulfilling, then don't cheat on that person. Just break that relationship and go, go find another monogamous relationship. Uh. So it's, again, more of that redefining, more yeah. of moving the line. But my whole point is, is that there are things that are still not acceptable in society, but what is now acceptable is think, are things that you and I, we got to look at and say, what in the world? Right. But that's the, that's the prevalence of all that stuff around us that is just enticing that part of you and I and the listener that actually is crucified with Christ, but not dead yet. I was looking at this idea of the body itself, because another thing I think is important for us to highlight is not only the, the, the prevalence of temptation in society today, but the duplicity of the human condition, okay? We are, I know that we're a, we're a trichotomy, body, soul, spirit, I, but we are really two people all the time, aren't we? Mm-hmm. We're the person that we are made to be in Jesus Christ, and we are becoming that person, renewed, born again, holy, sanctified. We're going to be resurrected into a glorified body, but at the same time, we still have that old man alive in us, like I said, crucified, but not dead yet, and desperate to have its way. And so there's this duplicity of the human condition we have to consider. And so I got to thinking again, Paul says, I keep my body under. Now, we know the body's not a bad thing. You know, it's not that all of a physical body and the physical flesh itself is bad. You know, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. He says, you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So there's goodness in the body. But listen to these verses. This is interesting to me. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. So there's clearly a statement being made here about the body and its tendency, that side of it that is very sinful. Yeah. In Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Oh, that's a great one. Romans 8, 10. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And I read that and I say, boy, that's true, but oh man, how do I learn to live in that spirit of life that is in me? So think going back to that verse that you read earlier, uh, to the, the greatest commandment, which is to, to love the Lord with all your heart. The main thing is we've sinned against him. Because sometimes I get so caught up and I just don't want to sin because I want to do better versus, no, I've sinned. I, I sinned against God. I sinned against my heavenly father. I've, I've done him wrong. So there's that conviction there. That if, you, if you're seeing where I'm going with that. Yeah, is it, boy, is this a bad phrase? I hope it doesn't sound wrong. But can we by our true confession, acknowledging what you just said, can we make an offering of our sin to God by our confession? And I say, I release this, I let this go by the confession of my sin because, God, I want you. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm... I know what immediately rose up inside of me as like a like a defense of like, 
What you're not saying is, so I'm going to go out and sin so that I can bring this brokenness to God as an offering of praise and directing him. That's, that's not it at all. Galatians lays that out. Right. But I think what I'm hearing you saying is more understanding that this sin is the result of the part of me that is me, was me, but in a lot of ways still continues to be me. It is, it is my lust, my desires, the things in me that make me who I am in so many ways that Jesus is rooting out of me to make me better. And so when I sin, I acknowledge these are the things that are keeping me from being your image that you want from me. And so I am choosing your image more so than my own desires. And so I am offering my sin. I'm offering this side of me and recognizing, yes, this needs crucified. And I'm bringing it to you for you to do with what you want to do to make me into your image. Yeah, it's got to come under the idea of being conformed into Christ and and all the transformation, but that purging out, or just use that language, the crucifying of our flesh, of the the yeah. sinful side, the right. body of sin that is in us. Right. I uh, so this is the perfect place to bring in this this quote by Watchman Nee. I don't know if you fellows have ever read much from Watchman, but I picked up a book the other day. The title of it is The Normal Christian Life. And this is from the very first page of chapter 1. This is how the book is introduced. What is the normal Christian life? We do well at the outset to ponder this question. It is something very different from the life of the average Christian. Indeed, a consideration of the written word of God, of the Sermon on the Mount, for example, would lead us to ask whether such a life has ever in fact been lived upon the earth, save only by the Son of God himself. Paul's interrupt the quote. I read that the other day and I said, I can take a deep breath. This man, Watchman Nee, tremendous man of God, spirit-filled man in, in his missionary work in China, makes this possibility or presents this possibility that it's okay to look and say, has anyone ever actually lived a real Christian life other than Jesus himself? And you think, well, you know, actually that shouldn't be a light bulb moment. The answer is obviously no, only Jesus could. Amen. But that's the beauty of it, right? Mm -hmm. But he goes on to say, but in that last saving clause, lies immediately the answer to our question. It is as Paul writes of the Christian life in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I, but Christ that liveth in me. What a freedom comes with that truth right there of understanding that I am a messed up person. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dichotomy of Jekyll and Hyde, the yeah. classic Jekyll and Hyde story. And if it depends on me, I cannot make it. But Paul, the apostle, we've been quoting him from Romans, Corinthians, now Galatians. He's saying to us, guys, girls, it's Jesus in you. It's his life. You received him by faith. He is living this in you. He is transforming you. 
Is it 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Christ has been made unto us wisdom and sanctification and righteousness and redemption? We are those things because Jesus in us is those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so more and more, that is taking over us. So before we go any further, let's just breathe in a little hope right? to say that no matter what our struggles are, the reality is it won't always be there. I was reading a book yesterday. I won't say the title of the book, but it was one of those like, Christian self-help, extremely stereotypical, do this, don't do that. We use the Bible as our guidelines, but there's only like a little bit of Bible cherry-picked throughout the whole thing. I sit there, and I'm, it's an audio book. I'm listening to this thing. I'm listening to it on like 3.0 speed because I just want to get rid, be done with it. And there's just so much there. And I go back to what you just said. It's like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me, and it's like, hey, you want to be a good husband? Live the attributes of God. That's how you be a good husband. You want to be a good friend? Live the attributes of God. Be merciful. Be gracious. And you're right. It's a relief. It's just like, wow. Because, I mean, this thing was just like, it was stressing me out. I'm like, I can't remember all this. this is But long story short, that that's what I went back to. What a relief it is to know I on my own, I cannot do this. Right? I, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's the that's the relief of it all. Richard Foster, I in some of his writing, when he talks about the duplicity of the human nature, it may be even in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, discipline of simplicity as a as a practice of our discipleship. He says that's the answer to this duplicity. Right. Because the more we try to take in, the more we consume, the more we add and heap onto our piles of stuff, the more complicated our life gets. And the answer to the duplicity of the human nature, where we're buying things that we don't need, and we're buying things for people, other people that they don't need because we want to win their, you know, their approval or whatever. Yeah. He said all of that that comes out of our duplicity will be solved by living a life of true simplicity in Christ. And that is that whole thing between the double-mindedness that James talks about in James 1.8 and James 4.8 and the single-mindedness that David talks about when he says in Psalm 27, one thing have I desired, that will I seek after. Mm-hmm. What Paul says, you know, this one thing I do, what Jesus commends in, in Mary, one thing is needful. And so over and over and over again in the Scriptures, you have this contest between the double-minded person that we are and that trouble that comes with that and this call to single-mindedness where we just give ourselves more and more to the Lord. Now, we've kind of laid out some of the problems. The power of temptation, the prevalence of, of the temptation in our culture, the, the duplicity of the human condition. I think add to that the desperation of the enemy in this late hour mm-hmm. because it's going to ratchet up more and more and more. And, and, and I think it's okay to just say, number one, this is hard. It is hard to live holy in this world today. But on the other side of that, we've breathed a little hope into this. It is Christ in us. That's the hope of glory. And we are not alone. We don't have to do this by ourselves. You are better today than you were a year ago at this time. Mm -hmm. Even if you can't see it right now, if you're in Christ, you're better. So there's hope in that. But we have something we're supposed to do. We have a battle to fight. You know, God's going to do his part. But he expects us to do our part. And what is that? Well, there's a battle that needs to be fought. And we can't play church 
and win this. We can't play at Christianity and win this. We've got to learn and we've got to train to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. We've got to train and learn to live in the way of holiness and to fight the enemy through the power of Christ. And I think that's what we're going to have to deal with next time. Was there anything that you guys wanted to just add before we close out today? I No, because what Sorry. I have to add is great for next week, and so if I add it now... You won't have anything next week. <laughs> well, it'll open up more can of dialogue. So. Oh. What, I just thought what you were saying there at the end, how easy it is to sin and how there's temptation around us all over the place, right? It's just it, it, it's, it's hard to live a holy life today. Think of the potential of a great spiritual generation that could raise up just living holy oh, in Christ with all of this— if, with yeah. with everything that is at our fingertips, how easy it is to sin and how it, to just gross immoral sin, all at your fingertips, yet living a holy life through Christ Jesus. Yeah, throughout the history of the church and the, even yes. the history of Israel, that's when your champions rose, when right. it was the worst conditions. And so, yeah, that's a great point. So we got to come back next time. we got to talk about how to train to godliness. What does that mean? And what's yeah. the difference between training and trying harder. Mm. You know, the difference between my willpower at its best and the power of the Holy Spirit working in me. So we'll think about that, and we'll come back next time and see if we can can talk that out a little bit more. So thanks for listening. Thanks for being with us. You guys have a great week, and we'll see you next time.